1: Hey, this is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursdays with uh, with Mary Langston and episodic guest appearances. Uh, by Trey, at least until she can find somebody else to answer these questions in a more timely fashion. Mary Langston, how are you?
2: I'm doing okay, Trey. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Trey.
1: I hope you had a good week.
2: Yes, sir. So far so good. Um, I hope you have and I hope our listeners have too. You know, Last week was so hard and it's still kind of into this week as well. Um, So thinking through things, but good week overall.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a podcast for a whole other time, but you put your finger on something. I mean, we are wired to avoid pain. Mm. Uh, That is true. Biologically. I mean, I don't know the last time you touched a hot stove. It's probably been a while because you're a very responsible person and you kind of look at Mm. the eye before I, on the other hand, when I'm cleaning our stove even if the like eye is still hot i will try to clean as close to it as i can just because i'm impatient and i don't want to wait Mm -hmm. but when you touch something hot you immediately i mean you don't even think about it It's, it's a reflex i think that's also true with psychological pain and emotional pain we just want to move on but sometimes the quicker you move on the more apt you are to not uh, educate yourself or learn everything you can from what caused the pain in the first place. So I do get it. I I get that human condition is wired to want to eliminate, reduce, flee from pain, which is why we don't like dwelling on horrific things. Got to dwell on it at least long enough to say it hurts so bad. I don't want to go through it again.
2: That's exactly right.
1: But like I said, that would, that, that will be for another, another podcast. Cause yes. I, I don't know, we may have a question about that today, but I doubt it. Cause it's just not, it's just so miserable to talk about and think about. So with mm-hmm. that, it's your podcast. So why don't I be quiet <laughs> and let you, and let you go.
2: It's all yours. I do have one thing to share on that. I have a friend that used to tell me growing up, you know, don't turn your head away from pain, look at it straight on the eyes. Um, and so I think that's kind of talking about what you just said. But like you said, we'll we'll save that for another podcast.
1: Well, your friends were a lot smarter than mine growing up. You know what my friends said? Usually the dominant comment that my friends said growing up.
2: I can only imagine what did they say.
1: Hey, watch this.
2: <laughs> oh, that, my goodness. Those are
1: the words that are uttered before more bones are broken than <laughs> anything else in this country. Hey, watch this.
2: Exactly, especially when it's boys involved. Sometimes girls too.
1: Uh no, I thought I mean that it's <laughs> nice of you to wanna include both genders in that, but no, it's I don't I don't remember that many girls in my neighborhood, like building these ramps so we could go ride our bicycles <laughs> over ramps and try to jump over things. They were way too smart to do that. Way exactly. Too
2: smart. My, my brothers would do that. They would build this ginormous ramp and it would not be put together very well. The foundation was not strong, but they wanted to try it out. And, you know, there were some bruises and cuts, but they had fun.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, that's another podcast, but the, the genetic differences between why, why girls live longer than boys is, is another whole separate conversation.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, on that note, you ready to get started with our questions?
1: I, I, I think so. I hope so.
2: Okay, great. Well, our first questions from Dick, and he actually has a rather deep question. He writes, whatever happened to self-evident truth?
1: Whatever happened to self-evident truths? Yes, sir. Well, I don't think truth goes anywhere. Almost by definition, it doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's just a question of whether we can identify it and convince others to accept it as true. I think, you know, I don't know the impetus behind or origin of his question. It may well be that phrase from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. And then that's followed immediately by that all men are created equal and not to pick on Thomas Jefferson uh, because he was brilliant. But even the truth he identified, he missed part of it or opted not to include it in the Constitution. I don't know whether he missed it. I mean, he wasn't, I don't think, around for the writing of the Constitution. I think he was overseas. But you have that. What he identified as a self-evident truth that all men are created equal. And then when they ratified or codified that concept in the Constitution, they didn't include you, Mary Langston, um, Mm -hmm. or other women who couldn't vote or hold office. They didn't include a number of our other fellow citizens who weren't even considered fully a whole person.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So. Is it true? I mean, what is the truth that all people are created equal? What does that mean? We're not equal in talent. We're not equal in the circumstances of our birth. We're not equal in the opportunities that we're afforded in life. I mean, it's it's a huge difference to be born into a family where you are expected to go to school as long as you can and it's paid for and you don't have to worry about it. That's very different from having to work your way even through high school. Mm -hmm. Does that mean we're of equal value? Does it mean we're of equal worth? I mean, what else is true and self evidently? So, I mean, if you sit there and think, okay, what are self evident truths that you should not hurt anyone except in self defense, most people would agree with that. But I think, I mean, well, you're a reasonable person. I mean, you agree with that? We should not hurt anyone except in self defense. Mm-hmm. So then, I mean, what does self defense mean? Is it imminent fear of death? Is it imminent fear of bodily injury? Does it have to be objective? Can it be subjective? If I'm just, you know, a little worrier and I see risk and danger everywhere, is there a different you know, definition of self-defense for me than someone with a lot of courage and bravery that's not scared of anything. I think it's a good idea and probably objectively true not to steal things from other people. Mm-hmm. But what about that old saying that we hear, you know, I got, I I, I basically stole that. I got that on such a deal. I I, I mean, I've heard that a million times, boy, that mm-hmm. was a steal. I mean, does stealing include out bargaining someone? Does it in? I mean, does it include buying a piece of property for less than what it's really worth? Does it include buying a piece of property where there's gold or gas or diamonds on that piece of property and not telling the person who owns it? I mean, you know that it has it, but you don't tell the person who owns. It. I I don't know. I mean, so the truth is really about the only thing worth pursuing but there does have to be a consensus that it's identifiable and objectively so. And then we get into a discussion about the source of truth for some, it's science, but quite frankly, science has had a rough couple of years for others. It's math for some, you know, like you, for instance, Mary Langston, it would include spiritual works like the Bible, Mm -hmm. but even that, I mean, okay, people, I mean, lots, lots and lots and lots of people in my life believe that the, you know, Bible contains truth. Okay. Well, Jesus told the rich young ruler, "Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor." No one does that. Mm-hmm. No, no one, no one goes and sells everything because that runs in violation of another truth, which is you got to be responsible and you know meet your societal and familial obligations. I mean, why in the world would you go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and leave your family unprovided for? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible also, I think, I mean, you know more about it than I do. I think it says to turn the other cheek. Did I hear that somewhere in Sunday school? Mm
2: -hmm. You've got that right.
1: Okay. Does it also say something about praying for your enemies and those Mm -hmm. that oppose you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I don't do that. You probably do. (laughs) I don't do that. I may pray for them, but it'd be a very different kind of prayer. Mm. I may mention their name, but... So is there truth? Yes. Can it be identified? Yes. Sometimes. Can it be universally accepted as true? That gets harder. And and then you got to persuade people that it is the truth. So whatever happened to self-evident truths, Dick, I would have to say we did. We are what happened. And relativism is what happened. So that's the best I can do with that complicated question.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Dick, for the question. We're going to hold it right there. Be back right after this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Our next question is from Anne in North Carolina. She writes, with so much angst between Republicans and Democrats, how responsible or irresponsible is it to be unaffiliated?
1: Uh, I'm assuming she means unaffiliated in terms of party designation, not, That's
2: what I'm thinking, but I'm not 100 percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think reading in the context of it, uh, Republican and Democrat. I, you know what, Anne, I think is a great way to signal to both parties that you are dissatisfied with the current state of affairs. Where could it hurt you? Only in a state that requires you to be identified with a party to vote in the primary. And there are states where you have to register as a Republican to vote in the Republican primary. And the same is true in the Democrat primary, and why would that hurt you? Because more and more often, um, that's the real election. It's not in November, it's in the primary. So if you're not participating in the primary, then you're probably not picking the winner. But no, I don't think it's at all irresponsible. Uh, It's a way to protest the current state of affairs by saying neither one of the parties is worthy of my support right now. And I get it. I think Anne probably captures the feelings of of lots of people that I may reluctantly side with one group or the other, but I have higher expectations than are currently being met. So I don't think it's irresponsible at all. The only argument toward irresponsibility could be if you live in a state where you have to pick to vote in the primary, but I I I don't know how many states that would be.
2: Well, thank you, Trey, and thank you, Ann, for your question. Our next question is also election-related, and it's from Alan in Florida. He writes, what do you feel are the realistic chances of having a veto-proof Congress after the November elections?
1: A veto-proof Congress? Yes, sir. Well, let me ask you something, Mary Langston. Do you believe in negative numbers? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I don't. I wasn't paying attention that day in class. Aren't, aren't there like in there like negative three or mm-hmm. did I dream that?
2: You are exactly right.
1: Okay, well, I don't believe in negative numbers, <laughs> so I'm going to stop at zero. There's a zero percent <laughs> chance of that happening. Mm. Uh, zero is in the same chances I have of winning the U.S. Open golf championship. Zero as in the same chance I had to take Halle Berry to the high school prom. Zero. (laughs) Literally 100% zero chance. If my memory serves me, and it often does not, it requires two-thirds of the House to override a veto. Is that right? Mm. Two-thirds. Why am I asking you? That's why you're so happy. You don't follow politics. You don't (laughs) be like me asking terry she
2: that's why we have you
1: (laughs) yeah that's well that's why y'all are happy too uh two-thirds i'm terrible with math i don't know what two-thirds of 435 is um i did did you know there's a calculator on your phone
2: (laughs) i may have yes sir
1: okay well you i mean there so that is a knowable that's actually a knowable I think it's 290. Is that somewhere around in there? So no,
2: I'm not the best in math, but yes, No, sir.
1: I'm not either. That, that, that's a guess. Let's just say it's 290 and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: probably one of my three sisters. They <laughs> love that. They have a lot of experience doing that. <laughs> so what are the chances of there being 290 Republican votes in the, in the House? I'd say 1% chance of that, which is more than zero, um, but still not very good. What are the chances of there being 67 Republican senators? Zero. I think Republicans would be ecstatic if they had 53 senators come January of 2023. So that's still 14. That is seven full states shy of a sufficient veto-proof majority. So what are the realistic chances? Zero. There's this scene from Dumb and Dumber. You never saw that movie, did you?
2: I have not. No, sir.
1: Okay. Well, you're probably the only person in the world that hasn't seen (laughs) that movie. But there's a scene where this guy asks a girl that's way, way, way out of his league. But he says, you know, what are the chances of a guy like me dating a girl like you? And she said, $100 to one. And his response was, so you're telling me there's a chance. Mm. I see no chance at a veto proof majority in either house, much less both. And I don't know anyone in the House or Senate, certainly not the guys and gals that I talk to that think that that's not even part of what they're talking about. They just want a simple majority. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news. What are the realistic chances of a veto-proof Congress? Zero.
2: Well, thank you, Trey, and thank you, Alan, for your question. But only
1: because I don't believe in negative numbers.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, hopefully, Alan will appreciate you answering that question.
1: Probably not, because <laughs> whoever delivers bad news, at least in biblical times, sometimes they lost their head. But uh,
2: well, we hope that does not happen. Yeah,
1: well, I don't have another one, so I need to hang on to this one. <laughs> uh, I, I just I don't think it's ha- the numbers. You know, I'd be curious, not curious enough probably to go look it up, but maybe someone will. I'd be curious when the last time there was a veto proof House and Senate by the same party that would be opposite the party in power. I'd be curious how often, if ever, that had happened in our country's history.
2: But Mm -hmm.
1: I digress. So we'll move on.
2: And what that would look like.
1: What would that look like? Oh, just
2: part of your question, just kind of like, what would that look like to, you know, if it existed?
1: What would that look like to me? It would, I don't, it's so, I'd be really surprised if that had ever happened. So that'd be like asking me, what would it look like if the sun came up in the West? I I don't (laughs) think that's going, um, you know what, there'd probably be more and more clamor for what they call a line item veto. Where presidents could go in and strike part of a law, but not the whole law, it would probably result in even more chaos and dysfunction than we currently have, which my mind is not capable of, of comprehending that.
2: Well, we will not think about that. At no, this I have moment. a very
1: limited capacity for imagination, so I, I, I can't even think about that.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for answering that. And thank you again, Alan, for your question. Our last question is from Leah in Mississippi. She writes, I was part of a jury very recently, and a couple of witnesses' stories kept changing while they were testifying. Since witnesses take an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, are there ever any consequences or actions taken to a witness that is caught not being totally truthful and or lying? Is there any law in place regarding this?
1: You know that sounds like such a good question for which there would be a simple easy answer and the easy simple answer is yes there there's a charge called perjury which is uh, lying under oath there it's also a crime uh to lie to the FBI um it's there's it's a crime to make Uh, Material misrepresentations on certain forms where you aver or swear to tell the truth. But this is where it gets dicey, Barry Langston, a little bit, which is proving the difference between a lie and an innocent misrecollection.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, I want you to imagine there's a a bank robbery, because I used to do these from time to time, and there are six tellers, all right? Six Mm -hmm. men and women are working as tellers and someone comes in and teller number one says it was a five foot eight man wearing a red mask and the gun was black. All right. And teller number four says the robber was six feet tall, doesn't remember a mask, may have had one, may not have, was focused solely on the gun, which was gray. Mm. I mean, do you think either one of them are lying? Or do you think they just saw things differently? People make mistakes all the time, all the time. And so knowing, I mean, I wish I had a nickel for every time a member of Congress or a witness in a congressional hearing. And you take an oath to tell the truth then, too. You may have thought something happened on a Wednesday. You may really, really, really have thought it happened on a Wednesday. But it wasn't a Wednesday. It was a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Is that a lie? It could be. It could be if it really, really mattered. Or it could just be you can't read the calendar. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that you just got something confused with a grandkids birthday party. And you you knew that one happened on one. So, first of all, Leah, thank you for being on a jury because that is very important and very difficult service. Mm-hmm. Witnesses, I would be worried <laughs> If witnesses story is all lined up perfectly, I would be worried having done it for a living because it just never happens. People are terrible when it comes to height. They're terrible when it comes to weight. They're not even great when it comes to hair color. (laughs) And you think about eye color. Okay. You got a pointed at you probably for the only time in your life and you're being asked where the green, where the eyes green or hazel or blue or was one blue and one brown. I mean, it, people make mistakes all the time. Having said that, there are prosecutions for perjury. But uh, just trust me, because I did it. It is harder than you think to prove to a jury that someone knew the truth and had an intent to misrepresent that truth to deceive and that it was on a material matter. Mm. So I think about what's the biggest lie told on a daily basis. And what would you think it would be?
2: Hmm. I don't know. What would it be?
1: How much do you weigh? <laughs> The answer to that question, I think uh, we should all hope and pray that that answer is never under oath. <laughs> so, I mean, is, is, is it a it, it, I mean, are you sitting there with the number that you want it to be? Or are you sitting there? I mean, I could sit there and think, I mean, I had to go to the doctor last week and I'm sitting there taking my keys out of my pocket and my cell phone out of my pocket. Take your shoes I'm off. Empty in my pockets to get little dust particles out of them because I I I'm sitting there thinking, well, that number can't be right. Are, are y'all using metric? Are y'all using what number system are y'all using? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not I'm not advocating for not telling the truth. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not advocating for that. But, you know, we, we've we all I remember when Abigail had a her hermit crab mm-hmm. and that hermit crab passed away. God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the pet store and got another one. And even though it didn't look exactly like Hermie, uh, mm-hmm. I convinced her that that was Hermie. OK, no part of that was true. No part of that. But Mm -hmm. I did not want her at whatever young age she was to have to deal with the grief of having lost a pet. So Mm. was it true? No, wasn't true. It wasn't under oath. So, yeah, you got to tell the truth. But every mistake is not a lie. And every lie is not material. When you have a duty to tell the truth. You know the truth, you say something different, and it's material, that's perjury. Usually what happens if you get a conviction, you don't go back and it just kind of looks like sour grapes to go back and try to prosecute the witnesses if you lost the case. They're tough cases to prove. In fact, the U.S. Attorney's Office slash Special Counsel slash FBI lost a false statement case in Washington just this week. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's much question, but well, it depends. I mean, do you believe the FBI when they said that this is what we were told? I I mean, it was a not guilty verdict. Doesn't mean innocent. It just means not guilty. So, yeah, they're hard to prove, Leah. But yes, our system doesn't work if people don't feel some obligation to tell the truth. And if there's not a consequence, we just got to keep in mind Sometimes people see things differently. They're convinced that something happened, even though it didn't. They're terrible on on details. Sometimes they guess when they should not guess. Just remember the bank tellers. I've had them, I can't tell you how many times. The person that robbed that bank was somewhere between 5'7 and 6'3, but it was the same person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that that's a pretty wide chasm in terms of height. I don't think any of them were lying. I think they saw what they saw.
2: And I wonder, too, if our brain does something different when it's under that type of stress or trauma.
1: It does. Mm-hmm. Our brains um, kind of uh, make you focus on what's most important and what's most important when you're being robbed, just staying alive. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I promise you there's never been a victim, even if it's not six, even even a single victim in a in a horrific case of assault or sexual assault. They're going to get some detail wrong. And the defense attorney is going to focus on that detail and the jury, um, because they almost always get it right. The jury knows What's important? What's important is what happened. What's important is what happened to her. What's what's important are certain characteristics. I mean, I used to use this example in the courtroom all the time. So we got this big game in South Carolina, right? Carolina Clemson. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would ask the jury, okay, we just we just had the Carolina Clemson game. All right. Who won the opening toss? Some may remember. Most don't. How many first downs did Clemson have? In the third offensive series where Carolina had the ball, what was the second play called? I mean, you all said you watched the game. You all watched it. If you watched it, what was the second play called in the fourth offensive series? And then I asked them who won. Everyone can tell you who won. They know the big things. They don't know the small little details. And that's just the way the human mind is wired. And that's with a sporting event. That doesn't include, you know, fearing for your life. Mm-hmm. Juries get it right more often than not, Mary Langston. Just believe me when I tell you that.
2: Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for answering that question. And thank you, Leah, for your question.
1: Yeah, well, I, I've, I've depressed myself because for five years in a row, the outcome of that game was Clemson winning. So mm-hmm. I should have – back when I used to give that analogy, South Carolina was on a roll. So it, Well,
2: it, maybe it's going to flip one of these days. Maybe in your I life. hear good news, so we'll see. I don't see.
1: know. I love Shane Beamer. Actually, I like Debo Sweeney too. I, mm-hmm. It's possible to not like both of them, but in truth, I pull for South Carolina, and I think – Shane's going to do a good job. How in the world we got from perjury to Shane Beamer? I don't know. That's that's what happens when your mind has difficulties like mine does. <laughs> you, just, you go from perjury to Shane Beamer in college football recruiting. So that's probably a sign for you to go back to work and for me to go back to sleep.
2: <laughs> oh, that's so great. Well, thank you so much to our listeners for your great questions. Keep sending them our way.
1: Yeah, keep them coming. And then one of these days, maybe we'll flip the script, Mary Langston. I'll get to read you some questions and you can take a crack at answering them.
2: Oh, nobody wants to hear that.
1: I'd like to. I'm somebody. I'd like to.
2: You are somebody. That's for sure.
1: All right. Well, on an happy, sweet note, I hope you have a great week. I hope everybody else has a great week. And we'll see you next Thursday.
2: Sounds great. Have a great week.
1: Bye-bye. Please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast on Apple Podcast or at foxnewspodcast.com. You've been listening to the Trey Gowdy Podcast on the Fox News Podcast Network.